Hi everyone and welcome back to the Empowered Patient series where we take a deep research guided dive into your health questions to help you follow not so much trends and fads but find the unique path that's going to serve your health journey right now. And today's topic is another biggie coming off of a, a biggie of understanding the ketogenic diet and all the variations of it and the ins and outs of our metabolic processes. So today's topic is wading through the weeds of food allergies and sensitivities and intolerances and testing for those things. So let's just jump right in. Um, food allergies affect a fair amount of the population um, and so it's becoming a significant concern and an area for greater medical and clinical research and beyond that food sensitivities and intolerances are growing at a rapid pace we're seeing more than ever um, so this is no it's no surprise that this question is coming up which is um, do I have a food allergy or intolerance or sensitivity and if so what do I do about it um, so let's just start with the one that's been studied the most, I would say, historically, which is food allergies. And so a food allergy is defined as a, a reaction to a food, an adverse reaction to a food that happens rather quickly after ingesting the food, and it elicits a particular immune response. So symptoms can range from mild discomfort, like some itchiness or some swelling of the face or the lips or the tongue or some rashes or hives, all the way to closing off the throat in anaphylaxis um, and even in severe cases, death. So there's quite a wide array of symptoms and that just speaks to the complexity of the immune system. When we're testing for food allergies, often um, when a patient will go see an allergist, they'll take a very extensive clinical history of the patient just to get very clear to see if um, there are repeating patterns or themes, if certain symptoms continue to show up at certain times. Um, and this is a really important aspect of getting clear on an allergy. Um, they may ask about certain foods because there are some allergies that are more universally known, like wheat and dairy and nuts and peanuts nuts and fish and shellfish and corn, for example, um, they take up a bulk of common allergies. So they might ask about how often you're ingesting these sorts of foods. Beyond that, some tests might be incorporated. So for example, there might be um, the administration of a skin prick test where they either scratch the skin and place a, a particle of that food substance onto the skin or they inject it just under the first couple layers of the skin and then wait to watch for a reaction to one or a few foods. So this is a pretty common test. Um, the issue here, and we have to get into a bit of um, understanding our immune system, is that the skin contains one specific immune antibody, that is IgE. And we have a few of them, IgE, IgA, IgG, IgM, and IgD. The skin has IgE, but none of the others. So if we do a skin prick test, and our skin does swell up or rash or... Um, show hives or redness or swelling, there is likely a reaction to something in that substance. 
we can get into the nitty gritty, which we'll talk about as we go on, of the purity of the food substance. Is it organic? Has it been sprayed with pesticides or preserved with chemicals? Is the body reacting to that or the food? Is the food in its raw state or cooked state? And how would we normally ingest it? And do we react differently to those variations? So there's a lot to be considered. Additionally, this just tests, skin prick test tests for sensitivity. So um, maybe the amount that we injected elicited no response, but if we injected a bit more, it would elicit a large response in the body. And something else to note about skin prick tests is that um, the skin reaction does not correlate with the body's reaction to the food. So if the skin reacts very severely, that doesn't necessarily mean, oh, then the body's going to go into anaphylaxis when we eat this food. We actually can't know that from the skin prick test. So often, um, Allergists will use a combination. They'll maybe use a skin prick test. They might do an oral challenge where a bit of that food is placed on the tongue um, and ingested and it's done so in a clinical environment so that the allergist or the physician can intervene if necessary to watch the body's reaction to the food. So that's food allergies in a nutshell. Again, the immune antibody involved in those is IgE. That's the one that becomes elevated. And we do have IgG in the skin as well as the lungs. So skin prick tests might be better at determining a food allergy that has a respiratory response. But what if we're having a response to a food that goes down a different immune pathway, IgA? Skin prick tests wouldn't pick that up. So that's why when we get into the realm of beyond allergies into food sensitivities and intolerances, they test for a wider array of these immune antibodies. So let's talk about those. A food intolerance is usually defined more as difficulty digesting a, a specific food substance. Um, it's not usually thought that it it usually doesn't involve a specific immune pathway and has more to do with deficiency of digestive enzymes. Lactose intolerance, for example, our body is deficient in lactase enzymes to break down those food proteins, and so we experience some discomfort. And though we may experience things like painful bloating and cramping and diarrhea and nausea and vomiting, the side effects usually aren't as severe as a food allergy. Food sensitivities open up Pandora's box of reactions to foods, honestly, because they're much more variable, they involve much more pathways, and they may show up in a more delayed fashion. So we may be reacting to something we ate, let's say, three days ago. So they can be a little bit harder to get a handle on. Um, food sensitivities may involve, again, those other immune pathways, IgA, IgG, IgM, and so that's where a wider variety of food sensitivity tests come into play. Probably the most common food sensitivity test category is testing the IgG antibody. So especially there are four substrates of IgG, IgG1 through 4, and 4 is thought to hold the lowest concentration in the body in a normal, healthy environment. However, it rises greatly when there's inflammation. So often they may test for IgG4 antibodies to see if there's an inflammatory response to a specific food. So you've probably heard of some of these tests out there. Um, most often they're blood tests where you go to a lab, you have some blood drawn, and then in the lab they test for, um, they put little specific food particle proteins, um, 
usually a large number of them, up to 150 different food particles, into a solution of your blood and see how the blood reacts. If there's a great deal of clotting, then there's likely a greater antibody or immune response to that, less clotting, less of an immune response to that. And based off of that, there are um, diets and food rotation type protocols that practitioners may put into play with you. There are a lot of challenges with this though. So as I examined the research, what I noticed was IgG may indicate a reactive response in the body, but it may also indicate food tolerance. They've done studies, for example, where people had known food reactions and people who felt fine eating the food, and the results were mixed. People who felt fine eating the food had an elevated IgG response. And some researchers theorized that an increased IgG response, especially in younger people, may indicate tolerance later in life. So the waters are pretty muddied here. In addition, tests have been fraught with problems, we'll say. So for example, a very common way to test the reliability of a food sensitivity test is to do a split sample reliability test. And here what they'll do is take two blood samples from the same person at the same time and send them into the lab under different names. So they're assessed or tested like two separate people. They'll run the same test and because it's the same blood from the same person, we should get basically the same results, right? Well, what they found in a lot of studies is that this isn't the case, that there's a great deal of variability from test to test. And um, this relies a lot on, depending on the test and the lab procedures, the lab technicians watching these solutions, watching their changes and assessing them, and there may be some error from lab technician to lab technician um, in interpreting these results. So there's definitely some complications and these tests aren't as accurate as hopefully they will be one day. And despite this, um, there are quite a few functional physicians who find these tests useful. They've had to go through quite a bit of trial and error to find different labs and testings that they find to be adequate with their patients. And they're usually not used in isolation. That is, if somebody goes to see a practitioner or goes to see these functional practitioners for food sensitivity, they're likely doing multiple things. They're testing their guts, for example, because that's another limitation of food sensitivity tests. Even if the test results come back and say, yes, there's quite a few food sensitivities, we don't know why. We don't know why the immune system is seeing these food particles as, an, as a foreign invader that they need to attack. Could it be leaky gut? Could it be gut dysbiosis? Could it be an overgrowth of bacteria? Could it be a parasite? It could be any or all of these things. And so some deeper testing is usually required. And practitioners may also do a therapeutic diet for a while to heal that. So they may use a gut healing protocol or a hypoallergenic diet. And then after some time, with the help of the food sensitivity results, um, incorporate some foods back in and see how the body responds. So usually, when we're looking at food sensitivities, practitioners are using a wide variety of tools and resources to help the patient recover because the goal, typically, is to help the person eat the widest variety of foods possible with the least amount of discomfort or health challenges as possible. So when we're putting people on elimination diets, they're usually not meant to be used for long periods of time. And this is 
a great conversation to have coming off of last week's conversation about reset diets. So we might try a reset diet and feel amazing after trying one. And so we think I can only eat these five foods forever. And actually that can do a disservice to not only the diversity of our gut microbiota and helping us um, stay healthy in that way. 80% of our immune system lives in our gut, so that diversity is really important. But also getting a wide, vast array of nutrients and keeping the body able to digest and process all these different foods. So we don't want to stay too restrictive for too long in most cases. So that's a little bit about food allergies and how they're tested, food intolerances. Again, they're more of a digestive intolerance in nature. And then food sensitivities, which are the more subtle, variable, and vast immune responses that can involve not only immune antibodies, but mediators that branch out from there. And so I shared a little bit about my personal journey, but I'll share a little bit more now. And that is that earlier in the summer, I was experiencing, or I experienced a very severe GI episode. Um, and I had already been doing quite a bit of gut healing up into that point. And so I just wanted to be very clear on what was causing that, or at least to get clearer on what might be causing that. And so I worked with a practitioner who specializes in one specific food sensitivity test. It's called the mediator release test or the MRT test. And the immunological theory behind this is that food sensitivities are much more complex than food allergies. They don't just involve one pathway, they involve many pathways in the body. And so the immunologist that created this test works to look for all of the changes in all of these cells, not just a specific pathway, but looking for changes all the way down the chain to, to measure for and test for the severity of the response. So this is very similar to the other food sensitivity tests I reference, where you go into a lab, you have your blood drawn, that gets shipped to the lab, and they test for over 140 different food and chemical particles. So they're testing for things like dyes and salicylic acid, other things, other chemicals that might be in our products that we're reacting to beyond just the food. And they measure it on a certain threshold of response. So if there's just a small response, because our body is gonna to respond to anything we put in the system, our immune response will be activated just a little bit, most likely. But those things that respond just a little bit are in the green or low reactive foods and chemicals. And usually the body can have them on a regular basis and feel great. Um, then there's the yellow category, which is a moderate response. And these are foods that for the duration of a specific amount of time, depending on the patient and and working with a specific practitioner, you may eliminate for a while. And then there are the large responses. They're usually in the red, severely reactive in the body. And these we may avoid for a bit longer amount of time and may avoid them as much as possible indefinitely, depending again on the patient and what's going on there. So I had this test done, I got the results back and I was actually pretty shocked. Um, what showed up for me was that my body was moderately reactive to many, many, many proteins, animal proteins specifically, and most seafood. Um, there were some things that were like, aha, yes, I knew that, like green peppers, bananas, and coffee, for example. Before going in, I knew that my body had an averse reaction to these foods, and they showed up as yellow on my test. Um, I also have learned from history um, of testing things in my body that I don't tolerate soy very well. And these products showed up as red 
on my results. But I was pretty surprised that things like eggs and beef and turkey were showing up as yellow, as moderately reactive. And so this is where it becomes very important to work with a practitioner and look at overall patterns of the tests. So let me talk about this first and then I'll go a little deeper. So what we noticed and what I noticed and based on my GI response was that um, something I had been working on with my protocol for adrenal fatigue and recovering from a history of um, under eating, of chronically over exercising, of my system being in a chronically stressed state, one of the responses or reactions in the body is that stomach acid is lowered often in these cases. And so what made the most sense to me and my practitioner is that my body was reacting to these foods because I didn't have enough stomach acid to digest them. So we began to work on a gut healing and I'm still undergoing a gut healing protocol that helps my body naturally increase its stomach acid so that I can better digest these proteins. Now let me talk about some of the foods that showed up as low reactive. Um, there were quite a few dairy products, things like yogurt and um, different cheeses that showed up as green. There were some grains like wheat that showed up as green. And before this point, I should mention that for the last few years, I've been on this gut healing and really health awareness journey, and I've done quite a few elimination and reintroduction diets. And what I found for my own body, at least at this time, is that certain foods just don't feel good most of the time. And a couple of those food categories include dairy. I can tolerate butter quite well. I tolerate ghee fine, but when it comes to cheeses and yogurts, um, milks, I don't tend to tolerate them well. I notice that after about a day or two of ingesting them, I get an earache, my sinuses are plugged, my throat hurts, and my chest feels really heavy. With the grain products, I notice that if I have them regularly, like if I start incorporating wheat bread back into my diet, I experience a lot of bloating and digestive pain. And some of my skin issues come back, like eczema, for example, tend to resurface. So these are just things that I've noticed in my own body, and that doesn't mean that they'll be there forever. And that may mean that my gut needs some more healing, for example. But I just know that these foods don't feel good right now, yet they came back on the test as green. Well, if you look at the fine prints of these tests and most food sensitivity tests, when they're testing for immune antibodies, what they warn against is that if you haven't ingested this food for quite a while, it may show up as green or in the clear or low reactive because your body has stopped producing antibodies to it. So when you introduce this antigen, this food particle, whether it be wheat or dairy, a food that you know doesn't make you feel well and you haven't eaten it for months to years, it may come back as okay because your body doesn't hasn't launched an immune response for so long. The memory cells are no longer there to see it as an invader, but if you continue to eat it, you might develop that immune response again. All that to say, it's really important to trust your body and to speak with your practitioner. If foods are incorporated that you know don't make you feel well, voice that, share that, and maybe if it's important to you to reincorporate these foods, then that can be part of the gut healing or other healing protocol. But these tests are not infallible. They do have limitations. So I would just encourage you again to look at all of these and to find a practitioner who will work through them with you and help you find the variety of resources that are going to best support you on your healing journey. So today we've talked about food allergies, 
food intolerances, food sensitivities, and the testing involved for each of them, as well as some of the other resources used, like elimination and reintroduction diets. I hope that this video has served you. I hope that you feel a little bit more informed and feel more empowered to talk about this at greater length with your health practitioners. And I'll see you next time. Bye for now.